20 years ago, the people buying electronics off our shores, as you said about 15 minutes ago into our conversation, Sean, were people that wanted to mine the copper, the gold, or the other precious metals yep. out of our old electronics. This could have been in Hong Kong, it could have been in India, it could have been in Africa and other parts of the world. They said that's still ongoing, but only on about 50% of the electronics that are being purchased. They said, now we've tracked the other 50 or so percent of the electronics that are being purchased off our shores to people who have, and this is their terminology, who have adverse interests to our homeland security. Hmm. They said they're pulling the hard drives and using it for ransomware attacks or using it for um, understanding the American security protocols and figure out ways to breach those protocols in the future. So it's a huge risk when it comes to households in America, stations, and our homeland security itself. Welcome to the Environmental Transformation Podcast, where we talk with industry leaders, climate champions, and sustainability professionals who are making an impact in their businesses today. Each leader is solving complex challenges and providing solutions within their respective areas of expertise. And here's our host, Sean Grady. Hello, ET Nation. It's time to spread the word about this podcast. If you are just tuning in for the first time, welcome, and we are honored to have you here with us. Please take a moment and subscribe to the podcast and leave your review about this episode. We really need to increase our listener participation to increase our podcast ratings, and we can do that by leaving reviews on the Apple Podcast app. If you are a longtime listener, well, thank you for being a member of the ET Nation. If you haven't gone to my website yet, to sign up for our newsletters, our blog posts, our email announcements, do it now. Go to www.seankgrady.com. That's www.seankgrady.com. And become a member of the ET Nation today. In today's episode, we are giving away a copy of John's new book, The Insecurity of Everything, to every listener who goes to my website and signs up for our newsletter. Cybersecurity and proper recycling of e-waste is becoming one of the biggest concerns we face in society today, and this book will help educate you on the importance of this topic. To receive your free copy of John's new book, I will send a link to the book request form that you can fill out and have a copy mailed to you. So what are you waiting for? Go to www.seankgrady.com and sign up to get your copy today. Welcome to the Environmental Transformation Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Grady. Today's guest is John Shagirin. He's the CEO of ERI and the co-author of the best-selling book, the insecurity of everything. And if you haven't read this book yet, it's actually quite amazing. It's an Amazon bestseller. Um, and, you know, John is a serial entrepreneur responsible for co-founding Homeboy Industries, FinancialAid.com, Engage, and many other impactful organizations. And he currently serves as the co-founder chairman of the ERI organization, which is an electronic recycling uh, company. And it's the largest cybersecurity-focused hardware destruction and electronic waste recycling company in the United States. And you know what? I think they think maybe in the world, too. So this is pretty cool. John, welcome to the show. Honor to be here today with you, Sean, and thanks for having me. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, tell us a little bit about your background, John, how you got started in the industry and, you know, you know, where, how'd you get here? Yeah, that's a great question. My, um, my, you know, when I think back now, I'm 59. So, you know, you try to try to understand like, how did this whole thing happen? You know, there's really no accidents. And when I think about it, my dad was a serial entrepreneur and my mom was a social worker. She still is. My dad's passed, but my mom at 82 is still wow. doing her job every day as a social worker. And wow. so um, you put social worker with serial entrepreneur and you sort of get social entrepreneur. And, you know, <laughs> I, I never, never dreamed of really, there was no such thing as social entrepreneur when Father Greg Boyle and I and others co-founded Homeboy Industries, really started as Homeboy Tortillas, morphed into Homeboy Industries back in the early 90s. But then after that, my wife and I said, we don't want to do any more businesses that just make money for making money's sake. And there's no shame in that. It's a capitalist society. And, and you know, and it's one of the uh, pillars of the uh, United States in terms of innovation and capitalism. But we want to make a profit, but also make an impact at the same time. And that's what we focused on businesses that make an impact, but still make a profit and make the world a better place along the way. So that's how really I ended up co-founding ERI with my current partners, both my wife and my uh, two co-founders, Aaron, Aaron Blum and Kevin Dillon. And, uh, and, and so that's how I got here today, Sean. Uh, that's fantastic. I mean, Hey, you gotta like having, you know, some sort of a, a passion and a, you know, a purpose behind your, uh, your uh, businesses. And so, that's what you've done. It's a great, that's a great story. So, well, I mean, tell us a little bit about ERI because, you know, for the one, for, you know, the listeners, ERI is, is like, as I mentioned earlier, one of the largest or the largest, you know, you know, electronic recycling firms in, in the yeah. country. So talk about this. This is awesome. Yeah. Well, it was funny. I never was, I came out of the internet business. So I had started financialaid.com in 98, the year Google was founded, Sean. So this wasn't, the next venture that I was planning on. I thought maybe I'd do another internet venture or something because we really got very, very lucky. Um, Mike O'Brien, Matt O'Brien and myself, the, my two co-founders there. And and when, when an entrepreneur doesn't give luck the credit that it's due, it's a little bit disingenuous. And we got lucky, you know, we this was the wild west of entrepreneurial, uh, you know, uh, uh, .com days and our, and our business clicked. And, um, so when I got out of that and so we sold that company to CIT in October of 2004, my co-founding partner here, Aaron Blum, had started this company in, already in San Diego. And we had become friends in 2002 where we were running financialaid.com close by. And I was sort of uh, keeping an eye on this whole opportunity. And really back then, think about it this way, Sean. There was no such thing as an iPhone. Or an iPad. There was there was you know <laughs> drones, drones and robotics yeah. and were not part of our lexicon. Al Gore had not won an Academy Award for, for the internet. <laughs> so I mean, it was really the beginnings of times. And and when you when you looked at the hard facts, the e-waste was the fastest growing saw waste stream in the world back then. So there was a real need to do this business. It was the backside of the technological revolution that nobody really thought about when they were creating all these amazing gadgets. And uh, and and uh, so we said, okay, this is a, a new mountain to climb. So we closed down his San Diego uh, 
uh, location, mm -hmm. changed the name, recapitalized it, bought out some of the current partners, brought in some new partners, and um, we opened up in April 05 in Fresno, California. Now, our first month of business in Fresno, we recycled about 10,000 pounds of electronic waste. We said, oh, this is great. It's going to be a nice little localized California-based business. And, uh, and then if you fast forward 17 years later, last month, you know, we recycled about, give or take, 20 million pounds of electronic waste. So mm. when I say we recycle, responsibly recycle, that means none of that went to a landfill. So when done right, Sean, zero waste, zero landfill, and zero emissions coming out of our own factories. And that's a powerful story. It's yeah, amazing. I mean, that's yeah. that's that's really impressive. Plus, it kind of, you know, talking about the circular economy concept too. Like you're finding end users for the products, and and taking a, a you know waste stream and and making it a use for you know future use and re harvesting the good parts out of it. You know, it's interesting. Your story started kind of like in 2005 and and creating this business. You know. I went into consulting in 2002. I was a regulator for eight years before I went to consulting. Whoa. Then I went into environmental consulting and I started a group in my company called Waste Services. And uh -huh. so I was in, I was responsible for building a group inside our company. And all we did was contract with vendors like yourself and other disposal companies on behalf of our clients. Because uh -huh. you know waste is a complicated process and it's regula regulated in a lot of different ways, especially from the industrial side. You know. MSW is pretty, that's pretty straightforward. That's easy. But right. the, you know, so we grew a business like that. Uh, and I just recently stepped out of that business and to, at the end of 2019, we had 50 people. All we did was manage business, created a software for it. Then I went into our digital practice. So we've got a little similar, uh, yeah, you know, business here. You were doing that in North America? Yes. And I still, wow. still focused on, I'm still connected to it. So wow. maybe we can talk offline at some point to get more in, intel on that. Yeah. But you know, there's there's a lot of similarities here. You know, you started it when the you know e-waste was becoming you know a topic. Like, how do we deal deal with e-waste, right? And yeah. you started that process. Now, also interesting to point out, which I know you know because you're 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 heavily involved with the the business as well. Back then, Sean, there was no such thing as chief sustainability officers. Yet. Oh no. ESG no. and circular economy weren't words that were used no. around trash disposal in the United States and North America. No. So it was truly when you were you know, evolving your business and we were evolving ours, it was the beginnings of time, really, for right. this whole, you know, this whole shift, which is now seems to be an unstoppable shift from a linear to circular economy, but there's a lot of time in between, 05 and 22, 17 years of absolutely uphill climb. Absolutely. I mean, and and to think of, you know, in terms of, you know, as waste professionals, we were always looking to recycle, reuse as, you know, the the, the pyramid, right? Everybody was yeah. like, hey, what's the waste hierarchy? And and that's how we talked about it. But we didn't talk about it in the, in the terms of ESG and sustainability. That's right. And that really vernacular really started to come into play in the past, you know, three to four years. That's it. And and now it's like, well, we've been doing this for a long time. Uh, it's just we didn't call it that. And so we're truly like the the original the OG of, of sustainability people, right? <laughs> right. We were early, but now the world's caught up to us. So that's actually it's fun and exciting. You know, yeah, exactly. you know we're, vi we're vindicated. We're vindicated. That's right. That's right. I love it. I love it. Well, why is e-waste the fastest growing waste stream on the planet? Yeah. Well, that's interesting. It's well, that's let me just even qualify that. 
He was the fastest growing Solway stream back from 02 to 05 when we were studying about getting into it and got into it. But now, Sean, depending whose numbers you look at, it's two to four times the fastest growing Solway stream. So it's even accelerated mm. in terms of its growth over the number two fastest growing Solway stream, which is uh, a post-consumer Solway's plastic. So let's think about this. What didn't exist when we got in the industry? So I'm wearing, as a wedding ring, I'm wearing my aura ring here. This is e-waste when it comes to its end of life. I'm wearing my Garmin watch, which has a lithium-ion battery in it. That also needs to, it's so, I mean, we must be twins. We're wearing the same suit, the same shirt. I mean, Jesus, someone told us how to dress today. You can't write, you can't make this up, John. This is crazy. Can't make it up. So, so now you have all these wearables that you and I are both wearing, yeah. obviously. And then you have the Internet of Things, um, you know, Nest and and Ring and all that Internet of Things, plus also the EV cars become computers on wheels. Oh, so yeah. so the, the, the proliferation and the ubiquity of electronics now have made it even expanded the problem. And when you look at the UN United Nations numbers, these are about five years old. So I just want you and your listeners to have a little context. Only about 17% of all electronics that are being used in the planet today are being responsibly recycled when they come to the end of life. So for us, it's still showing the top of the first inning and the delta of opportunity for us and, others, and other opportunity, you know, other entrepreneurs out there is it 83% delta. It's massive, massive. Yeah, and, and everybody, there's plenty of pie out there to be had, right? You know, it's not like no, someone's got the market here. So that's really cool. But you guys are well positioned to really launch even bigger than you are. I mean, you're already huge. Yeah. When you think about it. And I'm here in Indianapolis. And so okay. I know you have a, a site right over in Plainfield. That's our biggest facility in, in, in the United States. It's called the biggest facility in the world. And when, when my wife said years ago, about 15 years, 14 years ago now, let's put our third location in Indianapolis in Plainfield. I, I said, why? She's, and she came out of the food industry. She said, John, logistically speaking, it's the crossroads of America. And boy, was she right. Absolutely. She hit that nail on the head. We opened there. And we've always been, we, we, we grew that from originally a 50,000 square foot building to 75 to 100. Now we're up to about 380,000 feet in, in Plainfield. And Amazon built one of their largest distribution centers there, as did so many other huge and wonderful brands. And Walmart's close. I mean, oh, there's, yeah, okay. I mean, you know, I mean, right. It's, and it's, it's such a, a great state to do business in. The people have been so amazing to us, um, you know, both the state, the state leadership and, and also just the employee base. It's just a, it's just couldn't be a better state to do business in. So business friendly. That's great. Now, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Did you know E-Tank is the only environmental rental equipment company in the industry that offers a 100% certified clean guarantee at no additional cost? Well, this gives customers the peace of mind knowing that container contents from the previous renter isn't going to cross-contaminate the contents of the current customer and potentially cause liability concerns. You know, E-Tank also provides a one-of-a-kind complete maintenance program for all its rental items, including liquid-tight roll-off containers, fluid transfer pumps, and filtration system components. To learn more about the types of containers and pumps E-Tank supplies, check out their website at www.etank.net. So the next time you are faced with an environmentally challenging project, give E-Tank a call to help solve your problem.
It's just that easy. Well, you know, with e-waste being both an environmental and a data security problem, how serious is the issue of hardware hacking and discarded, you know, electronics? Because I think that's like the big secret or the big worry that you know people aren't really talking about. Yeah. And, and by the way, that's really what your book really gets down yeah. to is that. So let's dig yeah. into this. Yeah. And thank you for showing the book. And by the way, just so you know, Sean, here's the offer I'll do for all of your listeners. Anyone who wants a free copy of the book, because I didn't write it to make money or to be Shakespeare or 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 or, or any type of fancy uh, uh, purpose, except just as an education tool, mm -hmm. because it is a big secret. It's still a big secret. So here's the deal. When we start, we started this company, we started paying attention to other data points out there. So we saw the advent and rise of Palantir. They started about 2003 in Silicon Valley. 2007, LifeLock in, in Arizona and the whole issue of personal privacy. And we started paying attention to this word cybersecurity that was being used more and more you know, on the, uh, in the media and, 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 and everything that we were seeing. And in about 2011, 12, 13, we started saying, you know what? If shred it, made a business out of shredding data on paper, we're going to focus with our shredders, which we have the world's largest e-waste shredders anyway, um, and on, on, on responsible hardware data destruction. And we started messaging that, and people looked at us like we were a little bit off. Like, They're really? Like, not, really? Not yeah, yeah, really? I mean, I mean what's right. the big deal? You right. want to destroy my hardware data? Come on. I mean, exactly. I'm done with it. Yeah, yeah. And they were already, I mean, listen, as you know already, because you're right in the middle of the industry as well, they were already skeptical of just the e-waste industry itself. Like, why parse out our trash even more? Come on. It's a waste of time, or is it really necessary? And yeah. then there's the concerns of people just taking the e-scrap the e and selling it to third-party, you know, third-world countries, and they're right. worried about that and proper disposal. So it, it became, it's become an, an issue, right? Right. So then... We got lucky, like like everything else, like every other venture that, that that actually evolves and gets bigger and doesn't go out of business with all the potholes and and uh, <laughs> you know and hurdles that are faced any entrepreneur and we all face them. There's nobody right. that's immune from that. You and I both know that since we've both traveled the entrepreneur's journey. So at 2017, I was at a cybersecurity conference in New York City, speaking at it on a panel, and a and a young man named Robert Hackett, who was the lead writer for Fortune Magazine, walked up to me after the conference was over and handed me his business card. Say, hey, can I have your business card? I gave him my card. He goes, listen, I'm going to talk to my editors, but I think we missed this issue at, at Fortune. We've been covering just the software part of cybersecurity. Let me get back to you in about a week. And true to his word, about a week later, he called me back. He said, my editor said, go for it. And nice. they, they wrote an article on us. It was called Dead But Not Forgotten. And I'll spare you all the terminology in the article, but the last two sentences of the article go like this, Sean. It turns out that e-waste is not only an environmental hazard, but a cybersecurity one as well. And we took that article in the hard copy of Fortune, and we took it to every potential client and, and, and already ongoing clients, and we prosecuted that article and said, this is why this is an yeah. important issue. yeah. You guys got to listen up. And for the most part, once they're educated, they really do want to do the right thing. But the problem is I had a, I was asked to speak in front of a bunch of ex-investment bankers that are now investing family office money uh, 
all very well, very well-known folks who've been doing it for 20, 30 years. And we had a, uh, a Zoom meeting about a week ago. None of them even heard of this side of the industry, the cybersecurity side. It's still the great secret of the cyber industry and the data risks that that are that lurk within all of our old hardware could be catastrophic if they get into the wrong hands. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I, I read your book and um, I, I just was fascinated by just example after example, you know, industry after industry having the same similarities. It's like it was repeating the same theme over and over. And I just kept going, wow, OK, it's, you know, so what led you guys to write this book? And, you know, what what do you hope the people will learn from it? Because, I mean, it, it spoke to me even in more detail. I mean, not that I didn't know this was an issue. Right. right. But now it's like it's become more aware in front yeah. of mind. And it's great. And it's becoming bigger and bigger every year. Um, it's it's a, it's it's bigger. But we wrote it because, again, there was no book really on this topic that we saw out there in the marketplace that was educating people. So we said, let's just write it as an education tool. Let's just get it done as fast as possible and get all the best information as possible and then make it as available to as many people as possible. Amazon did a great job marketing it as well. And they they really helped optimize it. It became an Amazon bestseller in the cyberspace, just to be clear. But that's yeah. why I even say, I don't want to make money on it. I just want your listeners to get it in their hands and just it's a it's a one night couple hour read in bed, but it will at least give a good overview that even if it if, if you don't work for a big company or a big organization, just to protect your own household, you've got to make sure that the folks that handle your old electronics when they come to the end of life are responsible and are going to do the right thing with it because you just don't want your household or if you work for a big corporation, the the electronics that you touch in your job or in any other capacity to get into the wrong people's hands. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, yeah, we want the listeners to get a copy of this book too. I mean, we want them to pick it up and read it and, and educate themselves more than just what this podcast is doing for them. Right. You know, the ET nation is pretty, pretty loyal and they're really listening to a lot of the, you know, the episodes that we have and the great content that we're bringing in every, every other week or so. But, uh, you know, this is a topic that they all need to focus on. Uh, you know, it's not just all about ESG or climate change. This no. is another very important topic that they need to take a listen to. So and I think your book really lays out the, you know, the argument of, you know, hey, software cybersecurity has been really uh, you know, has been more addressed in, in front of mind with a lot of people with, you know, uh, LifeLock and lots of other type programs. But again what do you do when you're done with the actual product and you and now our society is such disposal society i mean they like hey i got a new iphone the darn thing works great but i want the newer one and you get rid of it well all your personal information is on that that device and is it getting destroyed or recycled or reused probably or you know swipe or wiped out so everything's there i mean it's not happening i, I was read the read the statistics you said you know reused equipment that's purchased is 47 or 50 percent you know it's got personal data on those those devices that are resold and that's compromising people's uh personal lives so a hundred percent and the stories with regards to electronics that are used at large organizations so these three letter agencies that we know that are tasked with protecting this great nation mm -hmm. and 
lovely people who even on a benign basis, when their laptops or other electronics come to the end of life, those people have been found putting their old electronics up on eBay or Craigslist. I don't know how that happens, but that's crazy. (laughs) But it's true. And I would never say that if I didn't know that to be true. Now, in the office I'm sitting in right now in Fresno, California, Sean, we have the ground floor. ERI has the ground floor. On the third floor is the FBI. Now, this part of the FBI is a division of FBI backslash Homeland Security. And we've met with the folks in this building, and they've come and educated us. And they said, listen, John, and they said this to our executive team. 20 years ago, the people buying electronics off our shores, as you said about 15 minutes ago into our conversation, Sean, were people that wanted to mine the copper, the gold, or the other precious metals out of our old electronics. This could have been in Hong Kong. It could have been in India. It could have been in Africa and other parts of the world. They said that's still ongoing, but only on about 50% of the electronics that are being purchased. They said now we've tracked the other 50 or so percent of the electronics that are being purchased off our shores to people who have, and this is their terminology, who have adverse interests to our homeland security. Hmm. They said they're pulling the hard drives and using it for ransomware attacks or using it for um, understanding the American security protocols and figure out ways to breach those protocols in the future. So it's a huge risk when it comes to households in America, organizations, and our homeland security itself. Yeah, no, it it does. It does make you really think about, you know, how I should be disposing of, you know, electronics. And and it's funny. I mean, I would imagine every American today has at least five to 10 electronics sitting in their house that they're not using anymore. I can count at least three or four different phones I used to use that that are just sitting here because I haven't sold them or I haven't done anything with them. Or I got old computers and I haven't done... Personally, I haven't done a real good job of going and wiping all the data on them. It's like, and maybe I don't know how to do it properly. That's, that's the issue. Most people, most people want to do the right thing. Sure. Let's be honest. Most people are truly good people in this country and around the world. They mm-hmm. want to do the right thing. But when they don't have the knowledge or, it, you want to know, as you and I both know, one of the trademarks or pillars of good recycling is easy recycling. And if it's not easy or they don't understand really how to do it the right way, it just freezes it. So that way people get frozen and they just hold on to this stuff. Now, your numbers were very conservative. According to the EPA, the average person in America has 23 old devices sitting in their home or office <laughs> looking to be disposed. So, wow. I mean, it's it's it, the numbers are staggering. Well, that's only going to proliferate, right? With this whole Internet of Things. And, and we're going to get into that con- conversation because I've got a big question on that one coming up. But, you know, how bad is cybercrime? I mean, you know, I was reading in the book, it said globally, it's a it's 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 costing the economy six trillion dollars a year. You, you got the, you read the book and you got the numbers exactly right. Now, here's the real interesting part of the six trillion. We were raised, Sean, by, by our parents, and most people were raised by their parents telling them crime doesn't pay. Unfortunately, cybercrime wasn't around when we were kids. Fortunately, it wasn't around. And what's what's turned out to be is cybercrime does pay for the, for the bad guys. And so in 2015, just seven years ago, the number was $3 trillion that the bad guys made away with that year. And now, just in six short years, it's expanded to 
to to from three trillion to six trillion. It's a three trillion dollar spread, and it's growing just as yeah. fast. So th- there's it's it's incredible how much they're getting away with, and why make their job easy? You know they're already they're already winning this war. It's it's up to us to protect ourselves and to protect the organizations we work for or with, because if we don't do it, nobody else is. Well, and I think most average Americans or most just average citizens, and no matter what country you are, you, you feel like you're 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 kind of defenseless because you just don't even have the, the the knowledge to know what you need to do to protect yourself or the technology background to to do that. I mean, right? Like, you know, I read in the book too, which is kind of amazing. Is like there's a cyber attack happening every 39 seconds. Today's episode is sponsored by Cascade Environmental, the only field services contractor with the experts and equipment to support you from project conception to completion. In addition to the drilling and site characterization services that Cascade is known for, they also offer turnkey in-situ remediation services that include a line of injectable amendments that target tough contaminants like DNAPL, chlorinated solvents, TPH, PEAHs, and PCBs. To learn more about their in-situ remediation services and their line of injectable chemistries, check out their website at www.cascade-env.com forward slash remediation. Contact Cascade to help you start cleaning up your site today. And my question is, do we have enough laws to protect us in this space? I mean, I mean, where are the laws in the U.S.? That's what I'm really concerned about. Yeah, well, it's a great question. Thank gosh, in May of 2018, the EU passed GDPR, which was privacy laws surrounding the misuse of information by corporations or other organizations uh, in the EU. And then the EU can met out fines, which they've done since 2018, for those that are not protecting their users or constituents' data appropriately. The United States saw what the EU did, and many times the U.S. is informed by stuff that's going on in in Europe that they think is doing it better or more forward-thinking than we're doing it, and they started coming up with their own versions of GDPR. But as Washington goes, as you and I know, politics is playing, you know, their role in everything, unfortunately, some ways. So the states then took it upon themselves to say, we're not going to wait for you, goofballs in D.C., we're going to do this ourselves. (laughs) So, so far, seven states have passed their own version of GDPR. And when you talk to the real people that are the the, the smartest people with regards to security and data privacy issues and laws, uh, they say every state in this great nation by 2025 will have their own version of data privacy laws. Already California, New York, Nevada, and many other states have it, but other states are going to follow. And there's going to be just a toughening and a tightening uh, on these issues to protect us, to help us protect ourselves, but also to make sure that those who are abusing our data get punished along the way. Right, right. I mean, yeah, I mean, where are the law? I mean, like if someone's stealing your identity, um, you know, this these types of white collar crimes need to have more weight behind the, the, the sentence in my mind. I mean, this we got to prevent these people from doing this stuff. Well, Sean, you and I both know our inf- our own personal information has been breached over the years because how many times on our cell phones do we get calls, cold calls from salespeople because they <laughs> per- because their company purchased yeah. the list that we're on, and those lists are, are all basically on in in the 
the yeah. cyber criminals sell those lists in the black market and make a fortune doing so. Yeah, no, yeah, that's and that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> you got those robocalls that come at you, and you're like, I didn't sign up for this, but right. you know, the, somehow they're getting our information. We get these random texts from people, and it just 100%. it's it's crazy. It's uh, it's nuts. But um, well, how important is it for us to properly dispose of our electronics to you know protect our personal information? It's 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 important. Like, listen. And it's not that hard. I'll give you a couple of ideas why. There's three organizations that your listeners should really clue into. For on the environmental side, and it's really important to responsibly recycle your old electronics just to protect the environment, just to be good to our country and to mother and to and to Mother Earth that we all inherited together and we're sort of tasked with taking care of. Mm -hmm. Um that's e-stewards and R2. Those are the two best environmental standards. So look for a recycler in your area, wherever you sit in the United States or around the world who listens to your great podcast, Sean, um, that they should be at least e-stewards or R2 certified. That's on the environmental side. When it comes to the data protection side, they should be, that recycler should also be NAID certified, National Association of Information Destruction. Now, that certification was originally created 25 years ago for the paper shredding industry. Mm. But the, the great gentleman, Robert Johnson, who wrote the forward to this book, The Insecurity of Everything, then revamped his standard about eight years ago to include electronics. And then he made it available to electronic recyclers around the world. And good electronic recyclers that are doing the right thing with your data signed up for it and got certified to it and get recertified every year. So your listeners and viewers should sign up for recyclers to use in their local area that are either e-stewards or R2 and NAID certified to make sure that the data uh, is being protected and destroyed and also the environmental standards are being adhered to uh, and the and the environment is being protected as well. Yeah, that's a great point because, you know, I do a lot of third-party disposal audits for, you know, some of our clients and, uh, sure. you know, on my day job. This is my, this is my moonlighting side hustle uh, yeah, here, right? So let's be honest. But, right. uh, but uh, you know, we do third-party disposal audits and we look for that need uh, certification in R2, you know, for all the e-scrap or e-waste, you know, recycling vendors because our, our clients want to know where are the waste going are they certified and, and those are one of those you know requirements that they have to check the box so you know, those are those are important um for for industry folks and for just you know personal folks too so that's really good i mean well what are some of the the, the latest or most exciting innovations you've seen you know in the e-waste recycling recycling sector today you know? yeah that's a great question where we're um AI and robotics and more automation. That's really where this industry is going. We we started using AI and robotics about five years ago. It's been tremendous because it's helped us create cleaner waste streams and commodity streams, which is terminology I know you understand for our <laughs> listeners, for your listeners out there. You know, the cleaner the commodity, the cleaner the shredded steel, the, the cleaner the shredded plastic or aluminum or copper the more you're able to get for it from the smelters around the world. So yep. AI and robotics have been able to help us create uh, uh, cleaner commodity streams, which have created more value for ERI and, and more automation as well, uh, which is great because it lets us speed up the processing and take on more customers and more, more products. And there's going to be more and more of that happening in our industry 
in the years to come. And that's very hopeful for us. No, that's good. So when, you know, with those type of automation and innovation that, you know, you guys are deploying, do you guys um, pretty much process all your, you know, e-waste or do you use also other third-party vendors in, in the process? Okay. It's a great question. We process everything ourselves uh, in our own facilities in the United States. Then all the commodities get resold to smelters around the world, many of them, which are partners in our company. So Alcoa is an investor in our company and they sit on our board. Um, LS Nico Copper, which is the Ku family, the founders of LG Electronics, own the second largest copper smelter in South Korea. So they, they process all of our copper and precious metals. And then um, two years ago, J.B. Straubel, the co-founder of Tesla, invested and he sits on our board as well. And he processes all our lithium ion batteries. So there's, we process everything, separate everything, and then sell those commodities separated to the responsible smelter partners that we have in the United States and around the world. So that's the fun part of our business, that nothing goes to a landfill. The environment wins, and all of those products go back for beneficial reuse. And uh, so they, they, they checking everyone. all the sustainable circular yeah. economy boxes there, yeah. John. That's amazing. That's fantastic. I love that. Yeah. And then having some like Alco on the board, even better. I mean, you know, they've got a vested interest in making sure, you know, yeah. you guys are processing this material and sending them good product. That's right. And same thing with JB Straubel, the same thing with Ellis Nico. They all sit on our board and Ron Gonin, who we, we were talking about before yeah. we were on the air, he also invested as well. And he also sits on our board. And so you have these really, um, in many ways, iconic and visionary brands that have all uh, exceeded uh, uh, and and really uh, excelled in their specialty spaces for many many years, and so it, it makes a little company like ours, uh, you know, relatively speaking, a little company ours, get to have visibility and act like a big company because we have some of the greatest minds in the world yeah. sitting on our board of directors, and yeah. that's that's been really one of the trademarks for our success you got blue chip support i mean that's the yeah. that's it right you said it better than i could you yeah. know and then you know, tell tell talk a little bit about where you see solar panel recycling i i see a huge opportunity in the industry in the yeah. next 10 15 20 years with solar panel recycling because let's think about it solar panels are good for a certain period of time and then they're going to have end of life use because maybe the efficiency of them aren't as good and things like that i mean are you know talk about what you guys are doing around solar panel recycling? We are doing it already. We did R and D for about seven years on it. So basically, our partnership with Redwood sealed the deal on that. And what do I mean? We always worked on putting the solar panels through our shredding and dismantling processes at here at ERI. But we ended up with what are called meatballs. You know what the meatball is at the end. Of, so it comes out of the shredder, but it's still this mass of blob. It's not really. Yeah. The ideal right. piece. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't know what to do with it. And the other smelters around the world really didn't know. But J.B. Straubel, being who he is and his massive success and engineering prowess, he figured out what to do with it. He takes those meatballs from us, and then he smelts them down and recovers other materials out of them and then sells that also to the markets. So solar panel recycling, as you said, is in its uh, nascent stage right now, but it's going to grow, and it's going to be what we think are one of the last – with lithium-ion batteries, one of the last miles of responsible e-waste recycling. Yeah, because all of those panels are made with raw materials that have you know value, uh, like silver and and you know aluminum and, aluminum, and other copper, copper, right? And 
And so each panel has, you know, kind of a, a base value that, uh, you know, you can you can generate uh, some revenue off of. And so how to do that properly and maybe even know like what the value is of these products when you when you buy them or recycle them. It would be great to know. That's 100 percent. And and as you point out, the interesting thing is solar panels are really built to last 25 or 30 years and they will. But what's really happened when you talk to the solar farm owners across the United States, the technology improves so fast now, Sean, that there's a huge ROI for switching them out every five to seven years and instead of leaving them in for 30 years. So what happens to all those old panels? And that's wow. that's the opportunity. Well, and just let's, you know, let's dive in. Just double click on this whole solar field thing just oh, a little yeah. bit because it's so interesting. Yeah. John, what if every residential property had a solar panel you know, array on their rooftop or something similar, we would reduce climate change in a heartbeat, uh, right? In a heartbeat. And then you've got the, you know, the storage of the material or the, of the energy that's generated that we need to kind of solve and fix. And, you know, companies like Tesla and others are doing that, which is great, but there's others that are out there doing this as well, coming up with solutions. What, you know, we how are we going to transition i mean that's where i see you know we really need to transition as a society into taking more advantage of these renewable energies oh, that's exactly right and that's <laughs> why guys like ron gonan are thriving because his idea of starting the closed loop fund about seven years ago or so was so ahead of times because really the idea is we need to invest more in these renewables and make them more ubiquitous to all of us. Not only, like you said, not only to big businesses for their rooftops, but like you said, if every household had this on, you know, the we would we would change the world, and yeah. that's our opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And then you're going to be in a nice position, Terry. <laughs> Let's think about it, right, Rod? I mean, right, John? Come on. Yeah, that's a little bit of a good, uh, a happy accident at the end of the uh, at the end of the road. But I honestly, I, one that we didn't plan on. You know, when we went okay. in, we were we we never were thinking about lithium-ion batteries. We never, who would ever think they would become they would become embedded and ubiquitous to a, a, a small electronics? And then we weren't thinking about solar panels. And by the way, we weren't thinking about having Tesla as a client, but they're a client now because think about when you return an EV car on lease or on sale. And all the data that it downloads on you, someone's got to destroy the hard drives in these cars oh, or at least yeah. clean them. Oh, yeah. the opportunities are just so varied that we were never even imagining 17, 18 years ago. And that's amazing, John. Just, yeah, I mean, the opportunities to, you know, I think I need to invest in ERI. I don't know. <laughs> This episode is sponsored by PACE, people advancing science to protect our environment and improve our health. PACE provides an unmatched depth and breadth of testing and analytical capabilities along with professional services for your in-house lab needs. They have the expertise, capacity, and delivery infrastructure to provide the certified results you require when and where you need them. With over 40 years of innovation, more than 500 certifications and accreditations, PACE is serving customers through over 100 lab and service center locations with mobile lab, on-site, and emergency response service options available. At PACE, they honor their commitments so you can honor yours. The next time you are presented with an environmental testing and analytical needs, turn to PACE. To learn more, go to www.pacelabs.com. That's www.pacelabs.com. Thank you.
<laughs> All right. So how is the Internet of Things going to affect the production of e-waste and cybersecurity concerns? I mean, every now we got smart cities. Oh. Uh, everything is like I've got ring ring doorbells at every corner of my house. I mean, right. you know what? Well, and not only that, also the 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 data the the basically the the data centers that AWS and all these other great Microsoft and all these other amazing brands have. I never thought we were going to be recycling the server farms that are not being built uh, now in Moss. And so every opportunity is out there. Ring, like you said, Ring, Nest, uh, these Aura rings, our Garmin watches that you and I are both wearing. I mean, th this stuff has to go somewhere. And both on the data side and the protection side and on the env environmental protection side. And that's the real opportunity. So really, it's a two-step. Just like what you do for your business, your day job, Sean. First, it's education, and then it's action. And that's really the two-step that we engage in every day here at ERI. We educate the marketplace. And at the end of the day, most big corporations and most people want to do – and people run these corporations want to do the right thing, and then the business comes your way. And the truth is, as you and I discussed earlier, it's not a zero-sum game. I want other entrepreneurs to come in this space in the United States and around the world. Shame on us that we're at 83% not being recycled. We should be able to, we should get that number, reverse that number. They should only be 17% not being recycled and 83% being yeah. responsibly recycled. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And yeah, I think the more education we'll get there. Uh, I think some laws in place would be helpful too. I mean, if the, if, you know, Congress could get off of their, you know, political fights and, and, and come down, to, right. you know, um, you know, and meet in the middle, let's get something done because, you know, this is becoming a problem for, uh, you know, uh, our country. I mean, well, what can people do or what, what can people and or businesses do to be more responsible in terms of recycling these electronics, their data protection and end of life? I mean, you know, like if you've got these products, like I have cell phones and, and some other, you know, computers and, like in my local community, we have like an electronic uh, recycling depot that you can drop things off at, but I don't know where it's going. Well, that's the key. You, it's 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 up to us as responsible citizens to ask our public servants, and they'll tell you if they made if they made wise decisions. They build they'll be transparent. Um, you have to ask them who is the who is the, your chosen vendor for your city or municipality. So that way you can have peace of mind because if you, if they won't share that information for you, I would, I would say do not use that local opportunity. Now you have others in your community, in, Sean in Indiana and around the nation, Best Buy uses only uh, responsible recyclers to the standards we discussed earlier as the staples, as does Costco and many other great brands. So there are massive and great opportunities out there. And many cities uh, are doing the right thing and have great leaders and great public servants making good decisions. But it's up to us to ask first and not make a bad mistake. Okay. Well, what about ERI's mailback program? That's true. I'm glad, you that up. I'm glad you brought that up. You can go to our website and if you don't find a local opportunity, you could actually order a box. We have 17 sizes of boxes that can be, you could just pay for it online. The box will be delivered right to your house or small business. Fill it up at your own leisure, on your own timeline with all your old electronics, print the label, and then just email UPS 
and UPS will pick it up and deliver it to one of our 12 facilities in eight states across the nation. We cover every zip code, including Alaska and Hawaii. So if, if that's the way you want to do it, they, you could use our services wherever you sit in the in the in the United States. Well, that would give you, you know, more users a peace of mind, in my opinion. True. Right. Right. Yeah. It's like I know John's going to take care of this properly, you oh, know. Yeah. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to send it to John. You know, let's go there. That's Instead our of, only job. This is yeah. what we do, and this is only what we do, and we, we love it. So I would love people to use our box program. We started in 2012, and every year it doubles in size because more and more people are very comfortable now with boxes being delivered to their homes, obviously, with with Amazon and Walmart and DoorDash and all these other great uh, delivery services. Now it's also very easy to send boxes away from your home or small business, and, and we make it easy for you. So, you know, some of these mailbacks, do you have a mailback for lamps and other things too? I mean, 100%. batteries, lamps will handle it all. I think I need to get my uh, some of my uh, employees to reach out to you about uh, setting up some some Love contracts that we can work with you guys too. Because I they oh. use some other providers, but uh, I think you might be somebody they need to connect with. Love so to do it. Anytime. I'll connect them. I'll connect them. Um, well, tell us a little bit about what you see going on in the industry in the next five to ten years. Yeah, the industry is going to grow. There's no doubt because there's going to be a whole new wave of entrepreneurs that come in, Sean. And listen, that eighty three percent it. Is, is, is ripe for the taking. And there's a new generation that are so uh, excited to help this, this generational shift from a linear to circular economy happen. And that's what really is great for you guys like you and me, because we were the pioneers out there, as you said, back in 05, uh, starting this whole stuff, the, the OGs and the pioneers. But there's a new generation behind us and they're on fire for this. They're studying it in college, where when you and I yeah, went to college- We didn't have that. We didn't have it. Didn't exist. No, no. Sustainability didn't exist. In our no. college. You can get you can get degrees in that now. <laughs> That's right. So they're they're graduating and they're they're like gung ho to come in. The, and, the best and, I could do is I got a biology degree. So I mean I was right. pretty close, right? You know, oh, I was poli sci, so that was it wasn't okay. that close to anything, but it was, <laughs> it got me to where I had to go anyway. So uh, yeah, you were figuring but, out people. <laughs> but, the truth, but the truth is, they're, they're, like you said, they're graduating with sustainability degrees. And they're excited as heck to come on in and take the torch from us and, and keep moving forward. And I really do think that's where it's going to go. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Um, well, you know, hey, what advice do you have for our audience when it comes to, you know, recycling electronics? Two things. One thing is, first of all, you know, when you listen to the media and you listen to other folks, everyone likes to point a finger, unfortunately, in this country, Sean, and vilify one of the stakeholders, the manufacturers or the retailers or the consumers. And the truth is, those days of vilification are so old and so done. This is the time that we should all just be working together to come up with ecosystem solutions that are good for the, everybody. It's good for the planet and good for all the stakeholders because we're all stakeholders in the planet Earth. Sure. And then, then to just us singularly, we could all do more. That goes from myself and my household, even though we have solar and we have EV cars and you know we try to walk the walk. We can all do more, and it's our responsibility to do a better job to take care of this Mother Earth that we all were lucky enough to be born into and that we're going to leave behind for our children and grandchildren one day. Let's just do more and do it together, not vilify anybody, but bring us all together, get all the stakeholders to, to work better together and make the world a better place together. And, man, if that's all you remember from this podcast, then then that's that's a good message to leave people with.
Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, I always close my, uh, my podcast with, you know, make a positive impact in someone's life today. And, and, you know, John, you know, what you've done is come on the show and you're making positive impact in my life. Just having me on the show is great, but other people listening is, is awesome because they're going to read your book and, uh, you know, let's, let's, let's talk about that. So we'd like to give a few of these away to some listeners. If we could, is it something we could do today, you know, or at least, you know, get that out there. They write to you, you send us their name. If they send their name and address where they want it mailed to, and they send it to you, you send us that list, Sean. All of your listeners, I don't care if uh, 50 of them or a 1,000 of them, email you. I'll get them all a free copy of the book within the next 30 days so they can look at it themselves and they can make their own informed decisions. That's amazing. You know, ET Nation, you better listen up. <laughs> it's got a great opportunity to get a new book. It's yep. amazing. Great book. It's a great read. Uh, you. And you'll learn something. And you know what? You'll learn you know, something about John and his team and what they're doing to really help solve this uh, electronic waste uh, problem we have in society and how he's you know, creating a circular economy as part of the business. It's great. And he's addressing ESG and sustainability all at one time. It's great. John, thank you for coming on to the show today. I couldn't be more happy to have you on. Uh, it's been a great conversation. And uh, I'm sure we will stay in touch over the time. And uh, let's uh, let's continue the, the the impact that we're making in the society of with environmental uh, messages like this. That's great. Sean, continued success with your podcast and with your day job business as well. It's people <laughs> like you that make the world a better place. And I'm honored just to participate with you. Uh, that's great. Well, we really appreciate you coming on and our listeners do, too. our guest, John Shigarian, for coming onto the show today. If you want to learn more about ERI and the services they provide, you can go to www.eridirect.com. You can also receive a free copy of John's new book, The Insecurity of Everything, by signing up for my newsletter by going to my website at www.seankgrady.com. If you want to follow John via LinkedIn, I've also put a link to his contact information on my website. To listen to future environmental transformation podcasts, you can check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other podcast networks, or better yet, from my website at www.seankgrady.com. And you can also follow me on Instagram or the Environmental Transformation Podcast Facebook page. If you enjoyed the episode, don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends. We'd also love to hear feedback from the ET Nation about this episode and any future podcast topics you'd like me to cover. Well, thanks for listening. And until next time, make a positive impact in someone's life today. Music.